0: Tonight we're continuing our Colossians Bible study called Established in Grace, and we're on teaching number 16, which is the mystery of Christ in you, Colossians chapter 1, verses 23 through 27. And Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he says, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. and This is what we're studying tonight. The glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. First question I want us to take a look at tonight as we study this section of Scripture is what is the commission that God gave Paul? We looked at a lot of that in our study in Colossians before. Uh, We looked at what is the commission God gave Paul, and the commission that God gave Paul part of the commission that God gave him was the education of the church. So people would come to faith in Christ and then Paul would spend time traveling from church to church, to church writing letters, educating the believers who came to faith in Christ about the faith that they came to about the gospel of grace. So people who had come to faith in Christ, who were saved by grace through faith in Jesus Paul's commission from God was to educate the church, to build up the church, to teach the church. So we see in Colossians 1, 24 through 25, he says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. So Paul was in prison. He was suffering as he would go from city to city and city and town to town to town. That was a really difficult missionary journeys for Paul. But he said, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. So to me, what he's talking about there, it's, it's when Christ went to the cross. One of Paul's goals was to help people understand the fullness of what God did for us in Christ at the cross. That Christ didn't die in vain. And there's so much to understanding of what Christ did for us at the cross that Paul was willing to suffer in order to educate believers about what Christ did for them at the cross. So he said, I fill up in my flesh or I I, I suffer on my journey to go from church to church and my missionary journeys, fulfilling what Christ has called me to do. I suffer, but I want people to know more about what God has done for us in Christ. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So Paul's goal was for the church to come to a deeper understanding and a more full understanding of what God had done for us in Christ. Paul said, I've become it, that's the church, I've become the servant of the church by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. When we see this phrase, the word of God in its fullness, Uh, When we see see the phrase, the word of God, typically people think the Bible, but the Bible wasn't in existence during this time. So he, he can't be referring to the Bible. So the question is, what is Paul referring to when he says, I want to present to the church the word of God in its fullness. I want the church to understand fully and completely what the word of God is for them. And he's going to tell us what that is momentarily. Now, Paul writes about his ministry of educating the church in Colossians 1, 28 through 2, 3. He says, he being Jesus, Jesus is the one, starting with verse 28, Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So we see two things here that Paul wanted to present the Word of God in its fullness to people so that people could be fully mature. And a person can't be fully mature in their relationship with God if the Word of God has not been fully explained to them, if they haven't been fully educated about the Word of God that we're going to look at in just a minute. Paul said, to this end, proclaiming and teaching about Christ so that people can become fully mature in Christ to this end, I strain, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. It says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. So again, Paul's wanting to educate believers with the fullness of God's word so that they can become fully mature. So it's an, a ministry of education. Paul also had the ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He had the ministry of education, building up the believers, educating them about Christ so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in verse 3 of chapter 2 of Colossians, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul had a ministry of education. He wanted to educate the church completely and educate them fully. So what is the word of God in its fullness? that Paul wanted to present to the church so that they could become fully mature in these verses. All right, let's take another look at Colossians 1, 24 through 27, and we're going to see what the Word of God is in its fullness. Again, Paul writes, starting in verse 24, I have become its servant. That's the servant of the church, those who've come to faith in Christ. Paul said, I'm going to serve those who've come to faith in Christ, by educating them about the Christ that they came to faith in. I become its servant, the church, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Now he's going to tell us what the word of God in its fullness is. All right. Again, it's not referring to the Bible. Here's what it is. The word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. So the mystery is something that was previously concealed, but it has now been revealed. So God's revealing something during the time when this letter was written to the Colossians in his missionary journeys when he would go to the churches. Paul is is revealing something that was previously concealed that no one knew about. So something that no one knew about is becoming something that he wants everyone to know about so that they can become fully mature. So he wants to fully proclaim what was one time concealed so that people can grow and mature in, in their understanding of who Christ is and what Christ has done and so that they can grow. So, Paul says, I become, starting in verse 24, Colossians 1, I have become the servant of the church by the commission God gave me to present to you, that's the church, the word of God in its fullness, which previously was the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. So he's presenting something to the church, and the church is made up of saints. Saints are holy ones. Saints are those whose records have been cleared by God through the blood of Christ. They're completely forgiven. They do not have a sin record because the record was nailed to the cross. A saint is also someone who has a cleansed heart. So the blood of Christ cleared our sin record eternally and cleansed our hearts eternally so that we're completely forgiven before God and completely holy before God because of the blood of Christ. So to those who are saints, to those who make up the church, the saints, Paul wanted to present to them the word of God in its fullness so that they could become fully mature. And here's what it is. To them, that's the church that is made up of the saints, those with a cleared record and a cleansed heart, To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. Here's here's the word of God in its fullness here. Here's what Paul wanted them to know. He wanted to make known among the Gentiles, the Gentile believers, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul wanted to educate the believers about the indwelling presence of Christ, Christ in you. Number one here says the word of God in its fullness is the mystery of the church. We looked at that in our previous study. We went into Ephesians. uh, We went in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3 that the church, Jew and Gentile, in one body without the law of Moses was a mystery. Nobody knew that that was coming. And now what we have is the church, the body of Christ, where the law has been abolished. We don't bring the law of Moses and mingle it with the cross of Jesus. The law of Moses leads a person to Christ, but then we relate to God through what God has done for us in Christ, at the cross, through Christ in us. So the word of God in its fullness is the mystery of the church. You can see Ephesians, where Jews and Gentiles are in one family of grace, where the law has been abolished. You can also look in Colossians 2, 13 and 14. Paul writes about that. The days, the diets, the duties, and the demands of the law of Moses have been canceled. They are not for the church. The church, God's family of grace, relates to God and one another through the blood and the cross of Jesus, through the person of Christ indwelling us, and not through the law of Moses. That's pretty easy for us to understand, but think about back during this time when people had been living according to the law for 1,500 years. And Paul's now giving a message that we don't live according to the law of Moses. We live according to the cross of Christ. The law has been abolished. That was not a popular message that he was educating the believers about because they were wanting to add Jesus to the law. And Paul says, no, we got to keep Jesus and Moses separated. So we're looking at what is the word of God in its fullness. Now, in Colossians one twenty-seven, we see what Paul's referring to as well as the word of God in its fullness is number two is the word of God in its fullness is the mystery of Christ in the Gentiles, the hope of glory. So this was concealed. It was concealed in the law of Moses. It wasn't revealed in the law of Moses. Isaiah didn't write about it. Jeremiah didn't write about it. Zechariah didn't write about it. Uh, Daniel didn't write about it. They didn't even know about it. They didn't know that the Christ was going to actually live in the Gentiles. We see in, in the Old Testament prophets or in the Jewish prophets, they talked a lot about the coming Spirit and the presence of the Spirit. Jesus talked about the Spirit indwelling the Jewish people. Ezekiel talked about the Spirit indwelling the Jewish people. But nowhere could you find that the Spirit would indwell the Gentiles, that Christ would indwell the Gentiles. And so that was Paul's ministry to, to help the Gentiles come to know that Christ indwells you. So the question we want to answer as well is, what does Christ mean? Christ in you, the hope of glory. What does Christ mean? Well, in the English translations of the Jewish scriptures, originally written in Hebrew, so the Jewish scriptures were originally written in Hebrew, when they were translated into English, the word Messiah was the English word that we, we now know as Christ. So in the English translations of the Jewish scriptures originally written in Hebrew, the word Messiah is used in these English translations. In the English translations of Jewish and Gentile scriptures written in Greek, the word Christ is used. So Messiah is used when it's translated from Hebrew into English, when it's translated from Greek into English, we get the word Christ. So Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. Messiah or Christ means Savior King. The Jewish scriptures promised a Messiah would come. The Jewish scriptures promised a Christ would come. A King would come. A Savior King would come. King means one who would wear a crown as a ruler of God's kingdom. I'll give you some verses if you just want to jot them down. The coming kingdom of God thy kingdom come. Uh, Isaiah 9, 6-7 talks about the coming kingdom of God that the Messiah will establish. Zechariah 9, 9-10. Daniel 2, 44. Daniel 7, 14. Daniel 7, 27. Luke 1, 29-33 is when the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. You're going to give birth to the Christ. You're going to give birth to the one who's going to rule and and establish God's kingdom on earth. So that's what Christ means. It's the king who would come and wear a crown and bring in God's kingdom of peace. This peaceful kingdom would go all over the earth. And that kingdom's going to come one day and it's going to be established and peace is going to flow all over the earth. But Christ not only means the king, but Christ means savior king. So Savior means one who would bear a cross for the sins of all of us as the Savior of the world. So Christ means Jesus would be the King of the world. And Christ means Jesus would be the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who would be the King of the world. And Jesus is the one who would be the Savior of the world. The Christ as the King of the world would bring peace to the world. Jesus As the Savior of the world would bring peace between the people of the world and God, because he would die for the sins of the world, and through faith with him, we're at peace with God. So as king, he would bring peace to the world. As Savior, he would create peace between God and man, a relationship where God doesn't hold our sins against us. That's the new covenant. That's what Christ did at the cross. So Savior means one who would bear a cross for the sins of us all as the Savior of the world. John, in John 1, 29 and 36, talks about Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. The Samaritan woman in John 4, 42, talks about Jesus being the Savior of the world. John, in 1 John, chapter 4, talks about Jesus, the Savior of the world. So Christ means the one coming to be the King of the world, and the one coming to be the Savior of the world. As king, he would wear a crown as ruler, and as Savior, he would bear a cross as the Lamb of God who would die for the sins of the world. So that's what Christ means. So as the Savior, the Christ would die for all the sins of all the people of the world so that those who believe would receive forgiveness and righteousness so that they could live forever in the kingdom of God. So the Christ was coming to establish the kingdom. Only the righteous can live in the kingdom. And the way a person becomes righteous to live in the kingdom of God is to place their faith in Jesus, who died for their sins, and then we're given his righteousness. So now we can live forever in God's kingdom or have eternal life in the kingdom of God. Now, the fact that Christ would dwell within the Gentiles was a mystery. Something concealed that was now being revealed during the time of Paul. Now, why is Christ in the Gentiles a mystery? We talked about this just a minute ago. There is nowhere in the Jewish scriptures that promised the Christ, the Messiah, would indwell the Gentiles. You can't go in anywhere into the Jewish scriptures and see, oh, that verse says that one day the Christ will indwell the Gentiles. It's just not there. So it was Paul's commission from God to communicate that the Christ, who was the very revelation of God himself, would indwell the Gentiles. Christ in you, the Savior King, the King who's coming to establish a kingdom, the Savior who's going to die for the sins of the world, is actually going to indwell Gentile believers. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's what Paul wanted the believers to understand. We, we look down in verse, three of, well, verse 2 and 3, I'm sorry, of chapter 2. He wanted the Gentiles to know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And then verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the Gentiles were asking, who is God? Can we know God? The Gentiles were creating false gods and false idols trying to find out who God was. They were trying to appease what they thought was an angry God. But now what Paul is communicating to the Gentiles is that there's a God who loves you. There's a God who went to the cross for you. There's a God who paid for your sin penalty. You don't have to prove your love for God. You don't have to prove your devotion to God. You don't have to prove yourself to God. God is the one who's come to you to demonstrate to you how much he loves you and how committed he is to you. This is the gospel of grace. It's the very opposite of the religions that these Gentiles were a part of. So Paul got the commission to go into these Gentile cities to explain to them who God is. God is Jesus, and Jesus loves you, and Jesus went to the cross for you. And through Jesus, all your sins are forgiven. And through faith in Jesus, you receive forgiveness and you receive righteousness and you'll live forever in the kingdom of God. What a wonderful, amazing message that Paul got to deliver to these Gentiles and all these Gentile cities. Now, notice something here that it's not Paul who's chosen to make known to the Gentile believers within the church, the saints, the message of Christ and the Gentiles. It's God. Notice it says in verse 27, chapter 1, to them, that's the church, that's the saints, those who have come to faith in Christ, the Gentiles, God has chosen, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, Christ in you. So that tells us a lot about the heart of God and about the plan of God. It's God's heart for believers to come to the understanding that Christ fully lives within them. The indwelling presence of Christ, that God not only wants us to know what Jesus has fully done for us at the cross, in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, but God also wants us, and we're Gentiles, Now, there may be some Jewish people on here. I'm not sure, but we're all in the family of God, and Christ indwells the Jewish and the Gentile believers. But Paul's specific assignment was to go to the Gentiles to communicate to them about who God was, the Christ, what God had done for them in Jesus, and that Jesus now indwelled them. So it's God's heart for believers to know about the indwelling presence of Christ in them. So in Galatians, I want us to take a look at Paul's personal experience of Christ living in him. Look at Galatians 2, 19 through 21. Paul says, for through the law, I died to the law. He's responding to Peter here because Peter has moved away from the gospel of grace. Peter went back to the law of Moses and Paul's confronting Peter because not only did Peter leave the gospel of grace for righteousness, he began to try to earn righteousness by obedience to the law, rather than resting by faith in the gift of righteousness that had been given to him by God through faith in Christ, grace. Peter had gone back to the law because men came from James, from Jerusalem, sent by James, certain men, specific men that we see in Galatians 2. And they convinced Peter to abandon the gospel of grace And to go back to the law of Moses. Now, Peter still believed in Jesus as the Messiah. He still believed in Jesus as the Christ. He still believed Jesus died for his sins. He still believed Jesus rose from the dead. And he still believed Jesus was going to return. But he was convinced by the leaders of the Jerusalem church to abandon Jesus alone for righteousness and to pursue a right standing with God through the law of Moses plus faith in Christ. And not only had Peter made that decision to do that, he had convinced others to follow with him, and his hypocrisy is what Paul calls it. Barnabas followed Peter in going back to the law, and others followed Peter going back to the law. So you can read about that in Galatians 2. I think it starts in verse 11. goes all the way down to 21. It's an amazing, fascinating part of church history. So Paul is actually communicating to Peter. He's rebuking Peter. He's correcting Peter for what Peter did, and in verse 19, we get a glimpse into the exact words of Paul to Peter when he confronts Peter for abandoning grace and going back to the law, and here's what Paul says to Peter, for through the law, I died. The law killed me, Paul said. If you want to see that, go to Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 25. We see the law killing a person, Paul talks about how the law is a ministry of death and condemnation in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The law kills us because nobody can obey the law, and the penalty for breaking the law is death. So Paul says, through the law I died to the law. The law killed me. So not only did the law kill me, but I'm now dead to the law because the law killed me. He said, I died to the law so that I might live for God. So He's going to explain, how does a person live for God? Well, we don't live for God by seeking to obey the law of Moses. God's way of relating to him is not through the law, is what Paul is saying. He Peter, you've gone back to the law. You're trying to relate to God through the law of Moses. And Paul says, the law kills us. We don't relate to God through the law of Moses. If a person doesn't relate to God through the law of Moses, and think about it, they had been relating to God through the law of Moses for 1,500 years. And now you have somebody coming and telling them that your way of relating to God is no longer right. You're going about relating to God wrong. Try to tell somebody, and you guys have probably tried to do this before. You've tried to tell somebody that the way they're doing it is wrong. And when you try to tell someone the way they're doing it is wrong, they don't want to hear that. Because it takes a lot of humility to say, you know what, you're right. Thank you so much. For helping me understand that the way that I'm doing it is wrong, and you're going to help me understand what the right way is. Paul was trying to help Peter understand what the right way is, because Peter had gone back to the wrong way of relating to God, and he had taken a lot of people with him. So Paul says, Peter, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. How? He says, I've been crucified with Christ. When Christ died, I died. I died on the cross with Christ. My sins were nailed to the cross with Christ. The law was nailed to the cross with Christ. Paul writes about that in Ephesians 2, 11, I believe. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. And here's what I want us to see. But Christ lives in me. That's what God wants you and me to see as well. That's what God wants every believer who's come to faith in Christ to see. We don't relate to God through any kind of law, through any kind of religious system, through any kind of church requirements or church expectations or ministry expectations or if the pastor says you need to do this daily or you need to do that daily daily. We don't relate to God through any kind of daily systems or weekly systems or any kind of plans that were given. You need to, you know, here's a plan, follow this plan. We relate to God through Christ and he was crucified for our sins. So God wants us to see what Paul had come to see and what Paul was seeking to help Peter come to understand. That I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now, tell yourself that every day when you wake up. You know, it's Christ in me. It's Christ in me. And Paul goes on to say, I no longer live, but I still live. And he's talking about "I I no longer live according to the law. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, Peter, according to the law according to a system, according to these religious expectations and these requirements and these rules and these demands. I no longer live that way, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. That's an amazing statement. When Paul says, I live by faith, that's the word faithfulness. A lot of times that word faith there is translated faithfulness in other parts of Scripture. Paul could be saying this. Well, he does use the word faithfulness. And remember, he's talking to Peter. And Peter was now depending upon his faithfulness to the law to be righteous before God. Peter had gone back from what Jesus had done for him had gone now to it's, it's my faithfulness to the law that makes me right with God. It's my commitment to the law that makes me right with God. It's my devotion to the law that makes me right with God. And Paul said, it's none of those Peter. It's the faithfulness of Jesus for you when he loved you and he gave himself for you. So here's what I think he's telling Peter. Peter, it's not your faithfulness to the law that makes you right with God. It's the faithfulness of Jesus who was crucified for you because he loved you and he gave himself for you. He's telling Peter, it's, it's the faithfulness of Jesus that makes you right with God. And it's our faith in his faithfulness. It's not my faith in my faithfulness. It's not my faith in my commitment. It's not my faith in my devotion. It's my faith in his commitment to me. It's my faith in his devotion to me. So often in the Christian life, it becomes about our faithfulness to God, our commitment to God, our devotion to God. You know, I had a girl reach out to me today and she asked me, Brad, shouldn't we have daily devotions? She would read something I'd I had written called, what does it mean to fall from grace? And um, to fall from grace is to fall back into the law. Peter had fallen from grace into the law and lost his salvation. He just was not relating to God through the cross, through the grace of the Lord Jesus. He was relating to God now through the law of Moses. He had fallen from grace to the law. And so I explained in this article that the way we fall from grace as modern day believers is we really don't slip back into the law of Moses, its days, its diets, its duties, and its demands. We slip away from grace when it becomes about my daily quiet time. Boy, if I I have my daily quiet time, I feel right with God. If I have my daily devotion, I feel right with God. And it was hard for her because she had never been discipled and taught what God had done for her in Christ. It was more about her devotion and her commitment, her quiet times. It was hard for her to understand this. So she was asking me about that because she was confused. And so um, I was able maybe to explain, hopefully, and clear that up for her some. But what Paul is saying here is that Christ now lives in him. Christ in me which is exactly what he was teaching the Colossians. Christ in you, Christ in you. That's the mystery. That's the word of God in its fullness. Christ in you. The life I live in the body, I live by faith, Paul said, in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow, what a wonderful way to live that. Paul personally understood that the Christ loved him and the Christ gave his life for him when he went to the cross there and died for all of his sins. Paul understood it wasn't his devotion. It wasn't his commitment. It wasn't his faithfulness. Then I made the Christian life about me. Paul said the Christian life isn't about me and my faithfulness and my commitment and my devotions. The Christian life is about Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me and who now indwells me. And then he goes on to write in verse 21. He said, I do not set aside the grace of God. Why does he say that? Because Peter had set aside grace. Peter set aside grace when he made the Christian life about his devotion and his commitment and his faithfulness. I set aside grace because grace is not about my commitment, my devotion and my faithfulness, because if it's about my commitment and my devotion and my faithfulness, then it's not grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God, the, the unearned blessings of God. Grace is God coming to us when we, we weren't devoted, we weren't committed, we weren't faithful. And he says, I'm going to give you all my blessings in Christ, and all you have to do is believe, trust. So Paul said, I do not set aside the grace of God. What's the grace of God there? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what grace is. Grace is Jesus loving me and giving himself for me. Dying for my sins, taking upon my sinfulness, giving me his righteousness, forgiving all my sins. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness. Peter, he's talking to Peter. If righteousness could be gained through the law. And Peter, you're trying to become righteous through the law then Christ died for nothing. If being right with God is about my commitment, then I don't need Jesus dying for my sins. If being right with God is about my faithfulness, then I don't need Jesus dying for my sins. If the Christian life is about my daily quiet times, then I don't need the blood of Christ. When we can begin to see that the Christian life is about Jesus and him's love for me, And him giving himself for me, his commitment to me, his devotion to me, his faithfulness for me when he went to the cross, that's grace. And that's when the first time we can begin to really, really experience knowing God. Because we base knowing God before this time on, did I have my quiet time? Have I read my Bible? Am I faithful to the Bible reading plan? Oh, I missed part of the Bible reading plan. I don't feel right anymore about my relationship with God because of the Bible reading plan. God's not interested in us going through Bible reading plans. God wants us to understand the Bible. And part of my, I guess, assignment is to help believers understand the Bible, not to make sure they have a Bible reading plan, but to understand the Bible, That's the heart of God for us, and when we help people understand the Bible, then we can help them understand that Christ lives in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right, so during the earthly ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the message was be a follower of Jesus as the Christ. Follow me, follow me, but remember This message of Christ in you was not revealed at this point in time. The revelation of Christ in you had not been revealed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, especially in the Gentiles, that Christ would live in the Gentiles. But after Jesus ascended, the message is now the ascended Jesus lives in you, Christ in you. So it's not about me being a fully devoted follower of Christ. I would probably say about 95% of churches, that's somewhere in their mission statement, that's in their spiritual growth program, is they're trying to help believers become fully devoted followers of Christ. And you'll notice that, you'll notice when you hear churches, it's you never hear Churches saying, hey, our goal is to help believers come to the understanding of Christ in them, the hope of glory. You never hear churches, you never hear pastors say that. What do we hear pastors saying? Christ followers, Christ followers, Jesus followers, Christ followers. That is the predominant message in Christianity is as believers in Christ, we're to be followers of Christ, fully devoted followers of Christ. We're missing out on the mystery The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory, which Paul would go into these churches and try to help the Gentile believers come to that understanding. Christ in them, the hope of glory. So we see Paul teaching the Galatian believers about the spirit of Christ in them. So let's take a look at another example. We looked at Christ in you, the hope of glory, which Paul talked about himself. Christ who lives in me, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Look in Galatians 4, 4 through 6. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. And when did he do that? At the cross, to set people free from the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, or we might become God's loved sons and God's loved daughters. So Jesus gave himself so that we would become the loved sons and daughters of God, adoption unto sonship. Because you are his sons, and the Greek here means sons or daughters, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. So the Christian life, the life of a believer is not trying to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. They fell during the earthly ministry of Jesus being fully devoted followers of Jesus. But what we see After the cross and after the ascension of Christ, and we see Paul seeking to help believers. He's even trying to help Peter understand this. Peter, it's Christ in you. It's Christ who loves you. And Peter, it's Christ who gave himself for you. And it's Christ who lives in you. And he's trying to help the Colossians understand that. And he's wanting the Galatians to understand that. In a moment, we're going to see he's wanting the Ephesian believers to understand that. God sent the spirit of his son in our heart, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, love relationship. The Christian life, again, is not about us trying to be fully devoted followers of Christ. The Christian life is us understanding that Jesus was fully devoted to us when he went to the cross for our sins. And all of our sins were nailed to the cross, completely forgiven and completely holy before God. And why why did God cleanse the heart of a believer? so that the Spirit of Christ could live in us, right? Because the Spirit of Christ cannot live in the heart of anyone who's unholy. If I have an unholy heart, a holy God can't live in an unholy heart. A righteous God can't live in an unrighteous heart. So what the blood of Christ did was cleansed our hearts and cleared our record so that the Christ could live in us, so that Jesus could live in us. Why do we wash cups? Because we're going to put something, you know, I have, a, I have some water right here. You know, why did, why did, we, why did I wash this? Because I was going to put something in it. Why do mothers wash baby bottles? Why, why do mothers sterilize baby bottles? Because they're going to put formula in it. Why did God sterilize the heart of believers through the blood of Christ? Why did he cleanse our hearts? Not so that we could be fully devoted followers of Christ. That was going on before Jesus went to the cross because he had something much better in mind for us. He had something much better than us trying to be fully devoted followers of Christ and failing. What he had in mind for you and me is that he would cleanse our hearts through the blood of Christ so that the spirit of Christ could indwell us. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the one who loved me and gave himself for me to cleanse my heart and cleared my record, now lives in me. And I call God Abba Father. That's the gospel that very few believers have ever been communicated to. They're trying to wake up every day to be fully devoted followers of Christ, not realizing that Christ fully lives in them. Look in Galatians 5.18. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Where's the Spirit going to lead us to? The Spirit is going to lead us to, the, to Abba Father. The Spirit's going to lead us to know God as, as my, my Father who loves me. A love relationship with the Father. So if we're led by the Spirit, we're not under the law. Galatians 4.19, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ be formed in you. What Paul is saying there is his goal was for believers to come to understand not only did Christ live in them, but everything that Christ did for them would be formed within them, that they would come to that understanding, that full knowledge, so that they could become fully mature based upon this full presentation of the word of God, the gospel of grace, Christ in you. It was Paul's heart that Christ be formed in people. He lived in in them. He wanted them to know that. But the formation, the transformation of, of all that God did for them in dwelling within them. We also see Paul communicating the message of Christ in you to the Ephesian believers. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, Paul says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father. There's that love relationship from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, Jew and Gentile. The God of the Jews, the God of the Gentiles, the God of the church, consisting of Jews and Gentiles, the church, the saints. Paul said, I pray. Look look at the content of the prayer, Paul. I pray that out of the Father's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So Paul is not praying that the believers become fully devoted followers of Christ and more devoted followers and more committed followers. That's not the prayer of Paul. And remember, Paul is on a commission from God. Paul's been sent out from God. This is what God wants the believer to know. This is what God wants the believer to come to the understanding of. Paul said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith." So Paul wanted the Colossians to understand Christ in you. Paul wanted the Galatians to understand Christ in you. Paul wanted Peter to understand Christ in you. Paul wants the Ephesians to understand Christ in you. Well, God did. God wanted them to understand that through Paul. And through these letters, That we're reading tonight god wants us to understand christ dwelling in our hearts by faith it's not about us trying to be fully devoted followers of christ it's him who's fully devoted to us in grace who now lives in us paul says i pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints those whose hearts have been cleansed by the blood of christ those whose record who's been cleared by the blood of christ saints Paul said, I want all them to know, to grasp how wide and how long and and how deep is the love of Christ. That reminds us of what we read earlier in Galatians 2, 19, 19 and 20. Christ who lives in me, the one who loved me, and the one who gave himself for me. Paul had a personal revelation of the love of Christ for him. And now he's praying for a personal revelation of the life of Christ in the believer and the love of Christ for the believer. That's what Paul is praying. So many church leaders and ministry leaders, they're not praying that a believer, that the believers in their ministry or their church would come to the understanding of the life of Christ in them. They're not praying that, that the believers in their church would come to an understanding of the love of Christ for them. They're teaching them to be fully devoted followers of Christ. That's not the new covenant. That's not the gospel of grace. It's a failure to understand God's word in its fullness. So we see theology in the prayers of Paul. Paul is praying theology here. He's warning the believers to understand these these truths. How wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love. The love of Christ for you, the life of Christ in you, so that you may be filled, that's internal, filled to the measure of the fullness of God. How are we filled to the measure of the fullness of God? Coming to the revelation of the love of Christ for us and the life of Christ in us. And then we go into verse 20, which typically verse 20 and 21 is separated from the previous verses, but they go together. Once a person understands internally the love of Christ for them, and once a person understands internally the life of Christ in them, then we come to verse 20. Now, now, now that you understand the love of Christ for you, and now that you understand the life of Christ in you, God is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. What is his power? In the previous verses, what is his power? It's the love of Christ for us and the life of Christ in us. And once this revelation of the love of Christ for us and this revelation of the life of Christ in us comes the Spirit gives us that internal awakening. God says, now I can do more in you than you ever thought, hoped, dreamed, or imagined. To him be the glory where? Where? In the church. So Paul's prayer is for the church, the believers, the saints, to come to a, a revelation, and an internal revelation by the Spirit of Jesus in them, that he actually indwells them, the life of Christ indwells them, and the love he has for them that is beyond measure. So that they're filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And now he can do more in them than they ever thought, dreamed, hoped, or imagined. All right, let's finish up by taking one final look at Colossians 1:27. To them, that's the church, that's the saints. God has chosen to make known, to reveal, to disclose among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, here's the question I want us to look at. What does Paul mean by the hope of glory? Christ in you, the hope of glory there's something really big about Christ in you because Christ in you is the hope of glory. Us being fully devoted followers of Christ is not the hope of glory. Maybe the hope of the pastor, maybe the hope of the small group leader, but their hope is misplaced. The hope of glory, what God wanted Gentiles to come to experience and understand the hope was Christ in them. So what does Paul mean by the hope of glory? What is the hope of a car without gas? Needs gas to function for the purpose it was created to function. What's the hope of a person who's hungry but has no food? Needs food for strength, for life. They're dying, they're starving, they have no food. What's their hope? Food. What's the hope of a person who's thirsty? They're, they're thirsting to death, and they, they have no water. What's the hope of a person who's thirsty, who has no water? It's water. What's the hope of a fish? Outside of the water, outside of the water, a fish is dying, right? So what's the hope of a fish outside of the water? Two things. The fish needs to be in the water, and the water needs to be in, fi- in the fish. What's the hope of a person without God? The person is in in need of God filling him. So what gas is to a car that has an empty tank, God is to a man who doesn't have God living in his heart. What food is to a hungry person is what God is to a spiritually hungry person. What water is to a thirsty person is what God is to a spiritually thirsty person. And what water is to a fish, God is to a person, God in us, God in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And and Christ is God, God coming to indwell us. Think about the Gentiles. What amazing message this must have been for these Gentile believers who for thousands of years, dating back to, to generations before this current generation that Paul was talking to, they had been trying to reach God they had been trying to get to god they had been trying to appease an angry god and they never felt they could know this god or be close to this god or have a i mean zeus was one of these gods they had created all these gods in the greek world they're they're trying to figure out this world that they're living in where do things come from and they had a name for all these different gods for all these different things and then paul comes he says let me tell you about the real god his name is jesus He's the Christ, he's he's the king that's going to establish peace on the earth, he's the savior who's going to bring peace between you and himself, you and God, Jesus, and not only is Jesus God, is he the Christ, but this God wants to live in you, this God loves you and he wants to live in you, that was the message of Paul to the Gentiles. The message of Paul to the Gentiles was not the message of be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. That was not the message he took to the Gentiles. It's the message that most churches are taking to Gentile believers today. But it's not the message that God sent Paul to to proclaim to the Gentiles back during this time. And it's the same message that needs to be communicated today. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the message. God indwelling mankind. So the hope of the world is Jesus, what Jesus has done for people and Jesus living in people. That's the hope of the world. Christ in you, the message, Christ in you is our hope and God's heart. So what's God's heart for every believer? Is that they come to the understanding that Jesus loves them. He loved them and gave himself for them. He lives in them, and he wants to lead them by his spirit. That's the gospel. That's the Christian message. That's the message of God through Paul to the Gentiles, and this is the message that he wants you and I to know today. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want to thank you for listening to this teaching today. If you would like any of my other teachings, check out my books on Amazon as well as my website and my YouTube channel. The links are in the details of this podcast. Again, thanks for listening to this teaching. I hope you're growing and understanding the Bible more and more every time you listen to one of these teachings. Have a great day.